In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In 734 BC, during the reign of Pekah, king of Israel, the Assyrian king Tiglathpil... Tig, I'm gonna try, I've tried so hard to pronounce this name. I'm going to get it right. Tig, Tiglathpilizer III. Right? So the Assyrian king Tiglathpilizer III took the land and tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali captive. All of the northern kingdom would fall to the Assyrians 13 years later, and all of the southern kingdom would fall to the Babylonians 134 years later. But the first two tribes to be torn apart, enslaved, humiliated, and conquered were Zebulun and Naphtali. Then, about 764 years later, Zebulun and Naphtali were the first tribes to be comforted and restored. As our gospel text for today tells us, these were the first tribes to receive the ministry of Jesus Christ when our Lord left his hometown of Nazareth to begin preaching the gospel of his salvation and performing miracles that demonstrated that he was the Christ, the Savior of the world. The first place he went was to the people who were the first to receive God's judgment. In fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah's prophecy, 764 years after darkness engulfed them, Zebulun and Naphtali saw a great light. It's beautiful, isn't it? The first wounds opened are the first wounds closed. The first tears cried are the first tears dried. In all of this, we see it quite clearly. God never forgot, because God doesn't forget his promises. So then, when Jesus begins speaking to the shattered tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, why is the first word out of his mouth, repent? Why doesn't the Lord who has come to comfort the first to be afflicted begin by speaking a word of comfort? Well, the answer is simple. God never forgets. But we do. On the one hand, ancient tribal people were certainly far more connected to their heritage and history than we are. Most of us can't even remember the names of our great-grandparents. So these people were quite different. They held on to grudges for a much longer time. They held on to their histories for much longer. We look at the Hatfields and McCoys as a cautionary tale of holding on to grudges for too long, nursing petty grievances for too long. The ancient peoples of this world would have looked at the Hatfields and McCoys as hopeless amateurs. But on the other hand, 764 years is still a long time which means that, at least for the vast majority of these people, there is absolutely no way they felt anything close to the sorrow that their ancestors did when they considered their ancestors' destruction at the hand of the Assyrians. The average fisherman living in Christ's day didn't experience anything close to the agony of his ancestors. The guy who got up and walked to his boat or walked to his field, may have known the stories about what his people lost. But he didn't experience anything 
like the sorrow of the men of Zebulun and Naphtali who got up one day and saw their ships burned and their crops trampled. The women who got up to feed their infants didn't experience anything like the sorrow of their grandmothers who saw their own children slaughtered before their eyes. They may have been intrigued by Jesus and his words when he arrived. They may have rejoiced at his miracles that he'd come to perform. But they didn't feel the oppressive darkness the way their ancestors did over 700 years earlier. That's why their faith, like the faith of all Israel, was rather weak and fleeting. It's why they abandoned Christ when he gave them hard words like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, and before Abraham was, I am. The people knew something of sin and sorrow, but properly speaking, they didn't remember these things. And so, when Christ commanded them to repent, He was commanding them to remember, to remember who they were and what they were. They may not have been living under the power of the Assyrians, but they were certainly living under the power of the devil, torn apart by sin, torn apart by condemnation, light years away from the light of their perfect and righteous God. They were living under the slavery and darkness of a far greater foe than the Assyrians ever could have hoped to be. So in all of this, Jesus is telling them through the word repent, that's who you are. That's who you were. Just as your fathers were destroyed by the Assyrians, you have been destroyed by your sins. Just as the children of Zebulun and Naphtali wept when they were first to be conquered, so you should weep with equal sorrow over your iniquities. The reaction to their political and ethnic destruction is the response you should have to your spiritual destruction. Remember that. But then remember God's promise to restore you. Remember his promise through the prophet Isaiah that the first to weep would be the first to rejoice, that the first to be cast into darkness would be the first to see the light. Remember God's promise, Jesus is telling them, to send you his son, the Savior who would conquer Satan with his blood and clothe you with his righteousness. Don't forget who you are so that you can experience the full joy of what happens when God remembers who he is. So it is for us. Have you ever wondered why it is that you keep going back to the same sins over and over again, especially when you know full well how it is that you're going to be attacked by grief and guilt? Why do you keep giving yourself over to the same temptations when things always go the same way? You give in to something evil, and then guilt tears you apart. It rips you to shreds and leaves you feeling humiliated, leaves you feeling filthy, sick to your stomach about yourself. That grief consumes you, and it's like you can hear the devil telling you that you have no hope, that you belong to him, and there's nothing you can do about it. And all of this 
you feel that fog of darkness settle on your heart. And you know that that's what's going to happen when you give back into the same temptation. So why do you do it? Well, you do it because strangely, you remember that you're going to forget. You know that you'll feel that grief for a bit, and then you won't, and it's not gonna take you 764 years to forget it. It'll take maybe a day or two. That feeling of filth will fade, and you'll get back to your life. That's why the momentary pleasure of giving into sin feels like it's going to be worth it, even when you know that the guilt is going to come. That's why you think it's safe to hand yourself over to your anger or your lust, your jealousy, your lies, your slander, your bitterness, whatever it may be. You know that you'll forget. That's what you're counting on. So when Jesus begins his earthly ministry with the word repent, he's not just speaking to the remnant of Zebulun and Naphtali, even though he is speaking to them first. He's also speaking to you. And through these words, Jesus is also telling you to remember who you are in your sin. The sorrow in Zebulun and Naphtali, 734 years before Christ, was the right level of sorrow. That's the level of sorrow that the Israelites in 30 AD should have felt when they looked at themselves. And in the same way, you were right the first time. The horror, the disgust, the humiliation you felt when guilt first attacked you, that was the right response. Or to put it more accurately, because our repentance and grief is never really full, it was the closest response to right. Your sin is not something to take lightly. It's not something to settle into. It's not something that you can transform safely into a faded memory. Your sin is not a rolled ankle or a fading light bulb. Your sin is your heart ripped out of your chest and thrown in the dirt. Your sin is utter darkness, destruction, sorrow, and horror. It's absolute separation from God. That's where you are in your sins. That's what you accomplished when you gave yourself over to temptation. Remember who you are. And then, remember who you were. Because when you were destroyed and scattered, condemned and lost in the darkness, God remembered his promise. He didn't forget you or your needs. No, in that moment, he sent you his son. When you were oppressed and crushed by the devil who tore you to pieces, Jesus slaughtered the serpent with his death and pieced you back together with his forgiveness. When you were lost in the darkness of your own making, God sent Jesus to the cross and with the blood that poured out from his veins, he gave you light. As he was pierced, 
Jesus Christ pierced the darkness. And in his light, he showed you the face of God. The eyes that look upon you favorably and recognize you as his own. He showed you the mouth that calls you his beloved son. Showed you the ears that now hear your every prayer, your every cry for relief. Even when you forgot your need for your Savior, even when you didn't see it or feel it or know it as deeply as you should have, God didn't forget. Because God doesn't forget. The Lord remembers all his promises and fulfills them in the proper time. And that's something you should remember for all the moments in your life when sin and sorrow and grief are not anything remotely resembling faded memories. It's something to remember when they are deeply and profoundly personal sorrows that are piercing into your flesh that you can't forget, no matter how hard you try. Remember this in the times when you experience the profound sorrows of this world, when you can't stop tasting the agony that the children of Zebulun and Naphtali first tasted. Are you still carrying the wounds of your own making? Even though you've confessed your sins a thousand times, are you still haunted by the guilt they've brought you? Don't be afraid. God has not forgotten your need for comfort. And even if you can't feel that comfort today, his word of comfort is still true. And you will feel it eventually. With our Lord, there are no outstanding debts, no words of pardon that fall between the cracks, no cries for mercy, that he puts on hold. Your Lord is not busy. He's not distracted. He has not forgotten you. And one day, he will cast your grief as far away from you as the east is from the west. One day, your grief will die before your eyes because the God who died and rose again does not forget his promises. Remember this. Are you still carrying the wounds of someone else's making? Are you still torn apart by the sins of someone else that ripped you to shreds? Are you haunted by the pain you experience as a child? Are you weeping because you can't escape the suffering you endured in adulthood? Are you crushed by cruelty and disease, death and sorrow that seem like they're never going to let go of you? And take your weary eyes and look upon the northern kingdom. Look to the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, the first to be destroyed and the first to be restored with Christ's word of forgiveness. Look to them and remember your time to receive the fullness of comfort will come. There is an order to God's timing and his will. 
even if you can't perceive it. So be at peace, because peace is coming. Today, God speaks light into the darkness of your heart. And even if you can't feel that warmth, that light right now, still it shines. Today, that light, Jesus Christ, invites you to feast upon his body and his blood. The same body and blood that have the power to heal every wound, the power to end every sickness, the power to destroy every evil, and the power to raise every corpse. Even if today is not the day when you feel that glorious salvation crush your sorrows, when you eat his body and drink his blood, your sorrows are still crushed. So don't despair. Don't weep. Don't forget the infinite joy you have coming on the day of Christ's return. Because, as the comfort of Zebulun and Naphtali shows us so beautifully, God remembers his promises always and forever. He remembers every cry of agony from the lips of his children. He remembers the order in which those cries of agony were spoken. And he remembers them all so that he can soothe them at the proper time and in the proper way. God remembers every tear you have cried in order so that he can dry them all in order, in mercy, and in love. God doesn't forget. Don't you forget it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.